Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Retro Encounter, RPG fans off-topic podcast. I'm Mike Solosi, Monsoon on the boards, and we are here for some more Earthbound action discussion. And along with me is the same panel from a week ago, or maybe a few weeks ago, starting with Hilary Andruff. Hello, good to be back. And Robert Fenner. I'm here, and um, I've got nothing witty to say. But I'm here, and I love Earthbound. And last, and I guess also least today, Keegan Lee. Slightly offended, but thank you anyways. Glad to be here. You're the only one that's playing Earthbound fresh, so... What was that about? <laughs> so you technically have the least Earthbound, like, you know, the least Earthbound experience, the least Earthbound action in you. I don't know, maybe okay. maybe I'm just maybe I'm just in a, in a rough mood right now. I don't know. <laughs> oh, grumpy boys. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just grumpy today. Um... But I'm not, but certainly it has nothing to do with Earthbound, which is a you know a cheerful game from start to finish, right up and right up when you're you know are having your legs ripped off by a sibilant spirit or have your body transposed into a robot. <laughs> Earthbound's a cheerful yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. it took a turn. It's been a hard okay. time. <laughs> I. It ended. It ended on with some more uh, dark notes than I remembered from when I last played it 15 years ago. But uh, but that, I'm, that's hardly a complaint. It was just it was fascinating, if anything. And so Keegan, picking on you again, being the only person playing Earthbound for the first time, were there any moments in the second half of the game that jumped out at you a little bit that maybe you're you, maybe you weren't expecting and particularly uh, enjoyed, or maybe I don't know, found harrowing. <laughs> Oh geez, like this the story was weird to start with, but man, it just gets so dark towards the end. I still loved it, don't get me wrong, but I think for me personally, I didn't expect jumping way ahead at the final part of it, transposing into robot bodies. I had no idea that happened. And it just it was weird. And then seeing all the kids just sitting there while you hear surgical tools in the background, like holy crap. Yeah, and um, I thought it was an interesting choice that they only give the Nest robot any personality with the red cap. They couldn't, <laughs> yeah. They couldn't, uh-huh. you know, give, give the Jeff robot glasses or the Paula robot a ribbon or something. And it was... Yep. Uh, and, and that that whole final dungeon, I uh, I remember being creeped out by it as a, ki- as a kid and a little bit as an adult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's... Um, it, it, it takes away the, you know... The sort of cur- the color and personality of the of the main cast, and suddenly you're just these four tin cans in a really bleak sort of uh, uh, dungeon going towards the yeah. end. So mm. much gray. Mm-hmm. We couldn't notice it in battle, being at a, being you know from a first person perspective, like yeah. an old, like an old Dragon Quest game. And it's kind of interesting how the last little portion of that last dungeon, it looks a little bit more organic because you're getting really close to Gygus, but it's still hmm. really limited color. Hmm, indeed. <laughs> right. So that, that kind of creeped me out a little. I think that's where I got creeped out. <laughs> Speaking of creepy things, um, jumping back to where we where we cut off in the last episode, Robert, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you mentioned being slightly traumatized by the Prince Pooh's um, segment as a, oh, as, as a younger yeah. person. Yeah, that, for sure. Um, it's I'm sorry, you were going to say something? Well, uh, no, not really. It's, at first, it's a little strange how you meet him for the first time because you you eat some psychedelic cake, I think. Yeah, you, you, you have an edible on the beach, and uh, <laughs> you end up uh, in the shoes of uh, 
Prince Pooh, who uh, you can still save the game and talk to Dad, uh, but he's like, hmm, you sound different. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> oh, really? And instead of, that. And instead yeah. of, instead yeah. of a yeah. phone, you talk to someone in a trance? It's like has, it's like a guy like, with a phone on his head. Yeah, he has like yeah, phone, he has like phone like hair or a phone on his head, and I think you're speaking yeah. to your dad through him, which <laughs> I don't know. I mean, between that and the birds in the Lost Underworld, there's oh, I yeah, love there's some really special phone technology in Earthbound. <laughs> Yeah, so so you you take on the mantle of this prince from this sort of like far eastern mashup country, Dalam. It's it's a little bit India, it's a little bit China, it's a little bit it's a little bit everything. It's just kind of vague Asian country, and and you're the crown prince, and and you have to to uh, em- embark on this um, little uh, mission of meditation uh, to uh, gain some some magic abilities. Um, so you go up to the top of this um, this little peak um, that you reach by a ladder, and uh, he sits down and starts meditating. And all of a sudden, the music just like takes on this. It turns into like this really dark, like um, ominous low bass pad soundscape. And um, somebody comes from off screen and tells you to stop meditating. And you know this. It's it, it's like somebody trying to tempt you away from enlightenment. It's like somebody trying to tempt Buddha. Uh, so you can walk away, but the game won't progress. So you have to sit and meditate, and then you enter like this this battle screen with this like kind of disquieting looking uh, translucent um, monk face who um, starts like asking for your consent for him to rip you limb from limb, and, and you know you you have to like not relent in the face of this adversity so you know continue to allow yourself to be destroyed after the after the hp counter hits zero and it's just like it's described in quite graphic detail as well and it it just seems so almost completely at odds with everything that came before um it reminds me quite a bit of the japanese horror story hoichi the earless about the monk who uh, he, he's in the haunted temple and he paints um, sutras, the, these warding characters all over his body so he won't be attacked in the night um, but you know because of because of the way the body is shaped he doesn't paint them on his ears and he gets his ears ripped off um, and yeah, I'm wondering if there's like a connection between those two but I got a very similar vibe from those two stories of just you know somebody sitting in meditation and then just being um having a spiritual onslaught it's really it's really extreme i think i had some nightmares as a kid after playing that sequence from the first time because like the the description of what's happening and the the darkness of the screen and the ominous soundscape everything just comes together in this real like psychological horror uh spiritual horror bent that it's not really like anything else that was on super nintendo at least not in america Right, and yeah. um, I mean, th- I mean, I guess the the point of it is to um, completely free Pooh's mind so that there's nothing left but his mind, and because uh, after they after the spirit you know takes away use of his arms and legs and you see his his health go down to zero <laughs> as a sort of a special effect of that, and then also take away his his hearing and eyesight so the ominous music stops and the visuals cease. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 an it's interesting how they use like the game. Uh, uh, the game UI to illustrate everything that's happening to him in that uh, in that sequence. It's a little yeah. near automata. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little. And that's that's per- keeping current. And that's a perfect compliment to the kind of like informed consent process going on during that whole sequence, which I thought was 
really, I think that kind of added to the the ominousness to me. You know, this this spirit is making sure you understand exactly what will happen if you don't have functioning ears or eyes, and he's explaining everything. Hmm. Having to agree to it, it's um, there's like an yeah. extra layer of horror to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like Hillary said, the, the consent of it makes it creepier. But I, I'm not really sure how I processed that uh, playing it as a as a kid. I, I guess I just accepted it as as Pooh freeing his mind to get better mental powers. It, it seems more. It sticks out to me more playing it as an adult as being really dark and creepy and not just a simple meditation. But I, I, it didn't. I, I, I guess it didn't affect me as much as it did Rob. Yeah, young Solosi as much as it affected young Rob, I should say. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've got to say something similar. I think it it was much easier i think for me to take it literally when i was younger and to say all right well this is you know like a nothingness school of meditation that he's dealing with so this is literally you know him going to nothing so he can complete his training and also quick side note to Pooh: whenever you speak to women, <laughs> to women in dalam they are all very interested in him yes <laughs> in a way that he's got that cool hair yeah i, I i'm wondering it's like it's like okay now Pooh is maybe a very serious-minded kid now but was he always this way was he a bit of a you know preteen playboy once upon a time in dalam <laughs> And, and, Everybody uh, wants to get with the prince, though. Huh? And, and jumping and jumping to the end when um when you see a lot of uh, different characters praying for you, it's not the elder or the uh, townspeople in Dalam. No. It's all of the women. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and doesn't doesn't one of them have like a dream where he dies, which is a little different from the other areas as well? Yeah, that did happen. That was um, <laughs> how she like got the prayer from Paula, I think, at the end. Yeah. Well, yeah, one of them goes, I had a dream where Prince Pooh died. I should pray for him. And then, like, four other women appear from nowhere, and they all start praying <laughs> for Pooh. It's, it, just, it just makes me very interested in maybe playing a sequel game about young Pooh. It's like, how, what, what would the events of this be? But um, what's, in a, what's in a name, Pooh? <laughs> and his, yeah, and his name is, uh, I, I, I laughed at it as, as, as a child, I, have, I will admit. It's like I was like Pooh, really? Okay, I'm I'm playing with Prince Pooh, and he's maybe the second strongest teammate. Yeah, yeah. Ju- Justina saw me playing, and she was like, D- "Did you name him that?" <laughs> <laughs> I I actually have to admit I changed it uh, this time around. I made his name an amalgam of some of my martial arts teammates. Actually, <laughs> I uh, you know I don't know if we addressed it in the first episode. Did we talk about uh, if we change any of the um, names of the playables or the uh, or the optional items? I'm pretty sure we didn't talk okay. about it. Okay. Well, I I didn't change anything except I changed uh, the default PK Rockin to PK Love, which is the Japanese default. Um. <laughs> but but otherwise I kept everything. Did any of you make any um interesting uh, changes to the defaults? Uh, I kept the character names, but I changed the dog name to my old childhood dog, so my dog was Snowy, which fit once I saw the actual Aww. dog. And then I didn't understand when I was asking my favorite thing. So I was like, oh, I love comic books. So I was rocking out with Psy Comics the entire time. <laughs> That's interesting. Cause see, like, I, I'm, I mean, I, I know what you mean, but I'm imagining, you know, Anthony Jeselnik and Louis C.K. being summoned and just making the enemy <laughs> laugh and dealing damage. I like that. Actually, I like that even better. And <laughs> yeah. now that's what I'm going to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Along those lines, I actually 
So I changed the default attack to Psy Occupational Therapy, actually, because I was just really excited. Yeah, <laughs> okay, represent. There's, an, yeah. there's enough spaces for Psy Occupational Therapy? I, I abbreviated it to OT, oh. but oh, okay. I just, I just, I'm really excited. Psy Overtime. <laughs> We're yeah. gonna we're gonna get these monsters some grab rails, some drop down rails, maybe a, yeah, a long handled sponge. Mm. Well, we're gonna give these monsters time and a half so they can save so they can save up for comp. And also, I'm gonna uh, give this monster a telephone assessment. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and on, and on, on the we'll flip help side, them um, get better. We'll help them uh, get better. It goes along with the you know become tame or went back to normal. And, uh, <laughs> That's and, what I thought uh, at least. And and also uh, like you, you know when you're when you're choosing those names if you hit don't care you hit the default if you press don't care once and they give you several other options if you continue pressing don't care I remember <laughs> um, one of them for Psy is nuke which is which makes sense like okay Psy nuke and it's a big flashy you explode Oof. exploding thing but it, that also implies that Ness's favorite thing is nuke <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like oh whoa okay well, whatever I mean we all went with comics and overtime and love <laughs> which is which are much better options for favorite things in my opinion so okay <laughs> back to Pooh and the gang um <laughs> uh like Pooh joins you very suddenly and which must have been a huge surprise to Paula and Jeff who I'm not sure saw the same magic psychedelic sequence that Ness did but uh th- th- then you have the whole team together and Pooh is level 18 and maybe dies in the museum if you're careless like I am uh, yep <laughs> yeah <laughs> But uh, he's real strong. It's weird that uh, your sort of second mage has the second highest health in the game, and uh, has very difficult has a lot of difficulty eating certain things. Yeah. And, oh my gosh! Which is it's so <laughs> annoying with him gaining zero health or zero PP from just because you mix the wrong thing together or something. Oh, and, yeah. and he won't. He refuses to use normal items or wear normal clothes. <laughs> Come on, man. I gotta say, though, I'm kind of annoyed that Pooh's only weapon has a 1 128th drop rate from an uh, enemy you only encounter yeah. once in the game. Or that's you encounter some, in one area. Sorry. That's some Final Fantasy Pink Tails baloney. <sighs> that doesn't belong in Earthbound at all. It really annoyed me. <laughs> and well, and with Pink Tails, it's worse than Pink Tails because this is the only thing that Pooh gets. Mm-hmm. With, with, with Pink Tails, it's, you know, just a rare armor when there's plenty of armor to go around for all of your characters. Uh, you can still get by without it. Yeah, I, I've yeah. never gotten it ever. I, I didn't get it this time either, but still, I mean, it's, it's an, I mean, the, the completionist in us probably would like to see an item in every equip, equipable slot, slot for Pooh. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Even if, even if it's like, I don't know, an item that you can buy that just increases his attack by one. That's not as good as the sword. It's like, <laughs> just give, give us something. Come on, man. <laughs> I, I did take the, the time this time around. I decided that I needed to get at least someone's, and I like the idea of having the complete set, so I did get it. <laughs> they do a similar thing in Mother 3, where there's one character that can't equip any weapon in the game until you get a weapon for him in, I think, the second-to-last dungeon. Oh. Which is nice mm-hmm. and satisfying. It's, a, it's, it's your dog. He, um, he gets, like, a, a bone item to carry around for the, uh, <laughs> at the very end of the game. But, yeah, this, the Sword of King's um, rare drop in the Stonehenge dungeon is a little frustrating. And I, uh, I, I honestly, I'd forgotten what dungeon you meet the Starmen in, but I remember it was the gold Starmen enemy that, enemies that dropped them from the last time that I tried to uh, get the rare drop. In that dungeon, I was having a little bit of a hard time because, uh, I, I don't know, Pooh and Paula kept dying. So... 
a you tough know, dungeon. It's a little, it's a little <laughs> bit of a, a little bit of a tough dungeon, and you only encounter the superstar men in the second half. So by the time I started encountering them, encountering them, I'm like, oh, f this! I just want to get to the end. I'm not going to grind for a for a sort of kings. And there's a convenient but- exit mouse right there. <laughs> Uh-huh. That does help. I I stupidly had uh, had stashed an exit mouse in uh uh w- with the Escargot Express and they wouldn't let me pick up a second one. Oh no! Uh, so I had, I had to walk I had to walk out by uh, um uh, manually that time. Uh, so so wait, you get the Sword of Kings from Starman in Stonehenge? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's, I, the, it's the Gold Starman. I for some reason I had a memory that you got it from like a. a Kraken variant in Magicant. Is that a different item then? That is the gutsy yes. bat. That's the okay. which is it, which is That's the, another one in one hundred and twenty eight, isn't it? Um, I think it's I think it's easier than the Sword of Kings, I wanna say, but I'm not sure. Uh but I think, if my understanding is right, the gutsy bat has uh, has pretty good attack. It's not as not as high as the legendary bat, but mm. uh, but its guts is is two hundred fifty five, which is the max. So you yeah, get a, lots you, of smashes. Yeah, so you get a smash hit on almost every hit, and also guts is the stat, which uh, sometimes a fatal blow will leave you with one HP. So it'll, mm. it'll make Ness much harder to kill and have him do critical hits all the time. But I uh, I think that's a lower. I think that's a better drop rate than the Sword of Kings, but I'm not sure. But I, I do remember it's the Magicant Krakens that that dropped that for you. Yeah, I guess I got those two mixed up. Mike, remember how last episode I had mentioned that I hadn't gotten the homesickness status at all? Ah, right. So that <laughs> uh-huh. did, did that hit you somewhere? Yes, it did. Mid-grind in Stonehenge while I was trying to get the Sword of Kings. Oh, boy. Yes, oh, boy. While everybody's low on PP, we're all dying. All of a sudden, Ness is just like, I want to go home, which I understand. <laughs> Deep down, I understand. Forget this. <laughs> this isn't fun anymore. Man, that status effect hits hard when it does, though. I yeah. had no idea. Ness yeah, can't, yeah. can't do a damn thing in combat. You can have, you can still, you know, have him heal outside of combat or something, but he is basically <laughs> useless when he has homesickness. Yeah, I mean, I actually had to backtrack all the way out because I didn't have an exit mouse, rest, and then come back. It was, it was a brutal dungeon all around. Yeah. Also in there, just as an aside, near the end, I laughed out loud when I went to examine the test tubes with, you know, uh, Jeff's dad and the applicant and, you know, uh-huh. rec- all these recognizable people in them, and it just said, no problem here. If you check them, yeah, I mean, if you, if you try talking to yeah. them, then they'll say all kinds of things about suffocating or near dying or please help us, but you check it, and it's just like, no problem here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this exactly. is normal. This, 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 is a, this is a test tube. <laughs> Nothing unexpected here. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what compelled me to try checking first, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, I'll admit it. Um, I'm sh- I, I, you are lying if you say this did not happen to you. I did try to talk to ATMs a couple times. <laughs> yeah. hey, no, I'm I'm an L button boy. Mm. Yeah, that's how I played through it. Oh really? Oh, that's oh. I wish I had, I was that smart. And I, I was now nah, I was navigating through dungeons every time. Like I'm playing Dragon Quest three. I'm in dungeons oh, navigating through menus every time. But, uh, pressing but... the stairs button to go down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not like totally like Dragon Quest Three, yeah, but yeah, I was I was, I was slumming it up. I forgot that LNR let you do auto, auto talk and check. Let's see, what what else do we want to discuss before we really start getting into end game stuff? Oh, um, well, Dungeon Man. Yeah, how Parada. about that Dungeon Man? One of the, the one of the best characters in the game. <laughs> so cool. I, I remember when I first played this. I thought that the Dungeon Man segment with Jeff, which I don't think we talked about last episode, was a little was a little strange, a little offbeat. It's like, okay, 
this brick road guy is weird, and uh, it's um and I didn't really totally understand it, it being a set a send up of like tra- traditional dungeons and RPGs. But then when you meet him later, oh my god, how about Dungeon yeah. Man? Yeah, he's living his dream. Mm-hmm. He's a hunk. He cares deeply about dungeons in a way that I I'm just impressed by. Mm. Yes. <laughs> It's almost I, it's I I think it's you know Earthbound's developers just having a little bit of fun and like I don't know a peek behind the curtain in their creative process, but also you know hamming it up to be very exaggerated and um, ridiculous. It's kind of like how to make a dungeon, but like a, a joke of that as well. <laughs> All of those signs inside of him, oh, they're good. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like uh, the sign at the end of this rope will uh, will says will say you're almost there, and then you get the next sign for sure. Right, just says you're almost there. <laughs> He's so it, friendly too. Like he signs wants- that say, "Oh, this is a dead end, but here's a present for you." It's like thank you. It's like it, yeah. one of the core tenets of dungeon design: always put <laughs> something at the end of a dead end. Yes, don't be a slacker. Sometimes faraway items are better. It's like, it's like sometimes items that are easy to find aren't very good. And then, and then like, the item was, I think, $5. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. It, I, I, like, I don't I remember, I don't remember Dungeon Man being this funny, like, 20 years ago when I first played this, but I thought it was just, all of the signs and dialogue in that segment was just hilarious this time. Oh, it's... It's great, um, and uh, and for when you when he briefly accompanies you as a party member, he's just yes. wrecking everything. Yes, he's got this happened for longer. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's it's so perfect that he just gets stuck in the trees, and <laughs> and that's the end of Dungeon Man. Um, the music when he accompanies you, it's this. Um, it, it's, uh, one of the things that was speculated that of why Earthbound didn't come to to virtual console in the U.S. for so long. Um, there is a very illegal um, drum loop uh, from Sergeant Pepper uh, uh, making oh. up the <laughs> making up his that's... his walking music. Yeah, I remember. I remember hearing something about that. I think. Uh, uh, that happened a couple other times. It didn't happen to me, but um, I watched a video online with some of the Earthbound music, and one that I never heard in my game but saw in other people's videos was when you'd fight a weaker enemy. It would play a guitar riff that sounded a lot like Johnny B. Good. Huh. Or was it Johnny B. Bad? One of the two. Oh, oh yeah. The, oh, yeah. That's the Chuck Berry song, Johnny B. Good, yes. but okay. uh, Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, I, hmm, I, I, I never really he, thought of that, uh, of that being a copyright problem. I guess it could have been. Yeah, I don't think it actually was. It's different enough. Um, the, the, dr- the drugstore music is, um, a very obvious, um, MIDI recreation of, uh, the song Dallas Rag by the Dallas String Band as hmm. well. Oh. So, um, these, these guys, uh, they, they love their old timey music. <laughs> Oh, I mean, yeah, they have they have a whole Blues Brothers parody in there, and the Blues Brothers are yeah. are, if anything, a send up slash celebration of old R and B music. I mean, I mean, John Lee Hooker's in the Blues Brothers Blues Brothers movie, for goodness sake. Hmm. Yeah, so, hmm, a lot of interesting uh, uh, musical choices here, and also the like the music that. It takes place in Dungeon Man when you're exploring is this this discordant messed yeah. up strings and and one of the signs even says this um yes. uh, I uh, I made this music myself <laughs> it's my proudest accomplishment or something right. of that nature. <laughs> 
have your to regular have a, John I, Cage. I, I literally like everything else in your dungeon better, man, especially the benches. Yes, those benches are nice. <laughs> Very nice benches. Gotta, so, gotta put that in the Earthbound Travel Guide. Yeah, oh man. <laughs> place to stay. No, he's a special boy. He's got a yellow submarine inside of him. Yeah, he does. <laughs> the it's color like, oh, is just coincidence, though. Oh, yes, yeah. you need a submarine? I think I have one of those. It's like, wow, this, you are a very convenient giant tower man, Mr. Dungeon Man. Crazy body. <laughs> It's, it's unusual that his, you know, he's a dungeon man, but he's above ground. So tower man might be a little more appropriate. I don't know. It's just, it's just, that's just a semantic argument, though. I think there, there's also like a slight element of body horror with him as well, because you know, <laughs> you, you you meet Brick Road the first time, and he's just a dude, and then yes. when you meet him again as dungeon man, it's just like his face sticking yeah. out of mm-hmm. a wall. Kind of what's, frightening. What's going on in, yeah. inside that wall? Like, how is he connected to everything? Yeah, really. If, if, I guess it does become body horror if you think about that a little too deeply. <laughs> yeah. Possibly one of the other things you don't think too deeply about if you're younger. Maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, when you're younger, I, I, I did not take a body horror angle with it. I was just thinking, oh, there's Dungeon Man. Hi, Brick Road. What's up? <laughs> how did you get in there? This is horrible. <laughs> Can you get out? He's just stuck in the trees forever now. He can probably back out of it, but he just—he definitely can't go forward because he's—I mean—he's a giant dungeon man. He definitely can't knock over a tree or anything. That's just impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's back it up a little bit. Before you encounter Dungeon Man, you're—you're uh, you're in a town, a town called Summers, and you have to um, jump through some hoops to get to a town called Scaraba. And one part of the game that I did not remember that this was it was I was experiencing it basically fresh this time was the club stoic segment. Ah, uh, oh, really good. It's it's so good. I can't believe I forgot I forgot about it because you uh, you you sneak into this club where you have to basically pick up on the idea to uh, um you, you need to get magic cakes and you need to. Uh, uh, maybe understand a little bit that there's a, there's an important some important hieroglyphics you should check out, but when you go in there, you're the only children in the club, and the adults are just talking nonsense the whole time. And one one person in the club is a worker who even says, "Oh yeah, we're only serving them water and letting them talk about pretentious things." But it it struck me so much as like kids listening to adults and adult conversa- conversations sounding so terrible and pointless in a way that I found. I, I found very awesome. <laughs> huh. I didn't think of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Because I, th- I think yeah. a lot... Uh, it, it, there's... I think we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. There, This is a game that wants to wants to have you feel a little bit like oppressed children. Because there's always adults telling you no and adults getting in your way, with a few exceptions. And, uh, and the, in a way, um, Earthbound sets... Uh, you, you know, sets a tone where... Uh, Children are the only ones that can save the world, but adults are always getting in children's way. In children's way, and 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 the whole mm. club stoic segment made me just made me think of that a little bit. Just like yeah, yeah, this is children observing adults and thinking about how terrible they are. M- maybe I'm looking. Mm. Maybe I'm overthinking it a little bit. And I just recently played Persona Five, so that could be informing <laughs> this. But a lot uh, of rebellious youth in you right now. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just in a I'm just in an F adults kind of kind of mode for the past several months. It's like yeah, I'm part of the problem. It's interesting because actually I I was looking at articles and various things that have been written about Earthbound too, and one of the first ones that came up actually was Earthbound as a children's story, and it talked about that exact piece and how that was a good example of how Earthbound 
kind of gets in the head of someone in that kind of child stage of development and, you know, kind of talks to them on their level. So that was, that was kind of interesting. That, that is interesting. That's a very interesting take on it. Um, I personally didn't see it that way. Um, as somebody who uh, has an art school background and um, has had spent a lot of time in um, – uh, pretentious, um, <laughs> self-congratulating um, new age art events. I saw it as kind of like a gentle ribbing on that kind of culture, where <laughs> yes. like everybody can like drop the uh, uh, most um, uh, esoteric statements and and buzzwords without really saying anything. And I saw that as kind of a gentle parody of that kind of culture. But um, there probably is some truth to. Um, uh, to your interpretation, I could see it because I, like I didn't pick up on any of what was being said as a kid. And um, now that, you know, playing through it again as an adult, I can see like the absurdity, except the anti-capitalist guy. I like him. But, um, you know, just just the, the, I, I, the, I think the I nonsense think, I think and circular talking. The anti-capitalist guy may have been a case of self-insertion by Itoi-san. Uh, it might very well have been, yeah. <laughs> it, it makes more sense if you played Mother 3, fellas. Oh, yeah. Actually, that Robert's point actually, I think that points out a really cool thing about the game in general is that, yeah, you can sort of see it as the from the sort of adults talking perspective or from the background that Robert was talking about, and I think it could be either because there's that one adult in Club Stork that works there and saying like, yeah, I let them <laughs> say what they want. I don't really get it either. Like they're just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I don't want to ever say that Earthbound is grounded. <laughs> Because it is, it, it is not, but I, I think around the time of Dungeon Man, sort of after the summer segment, is where it really, it doesn't, not necessarily jump the shark, it doesn't feel like it's changing its tone, mm. or, or betraying the player in any way, but it, it, it takes some weird turns, starting yeah, at, this star, yeah, starting I think with, um, you know, helping the little cute tendas overcoming their shyness, and then entering the land of dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's there's some really good bits and some memorable moments, but I think Earthbound is a game that front-loaded its best content. When you're doing the sort of whistle-stop tour of all the towns, I think that's that's like the most... It feels like the most wondrous part. Um, whereas um, this back half has there's a lot of dungeons that aren't very interesting and, and, and a lot of bits that don't... You know, there's very interesting locations you visit, like the Tenda Village and the Lost Underworld. Um as you mentioned but um you know although they 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 look great and they're fun to walk around there's not so much of a um yeah it's, it's, like it's society to explore it's less grounded and um none of the yeah. towns in the second half of the game are as fleshed out and interesting as one at two and three four side mm. yeah but even even think... with that said i think lost underworld is awesome only because of the scale reasons if only because you're you're like you're the you're tiny characters that are only three or four pixels tall and um navigating very slowly around this large area being chased around by dinosaurs yeah that was cool that oh that's was great really neat to see and you know i actually think i tried to rationalize the shift a little bit in my head as i was going along by saying well you know they had more information you know things are moving more quickly but i i don't think that quite cut it <laughs> Mm. Mm. And um, 
I, I think we did mention this in the uh, in the first episode, but um, I, I actually really like the gimmick uh, in Mother One and in Earthbound of um, the uh, you know the MacGuffins you're chasing, the san- the sanctuaries, each mm-hmm. each giving you a melody and them eventually you know uh, convalescing into a uh, into a, l- a neat little song that you can listen to. Uh, very so- pleasant. Yeah, it's very pleasant. You can listen to your soundstone uh, at any point in the game until you've um, until you've completed the Magic Hand stage, which we will talk to uh, talk about in a minute. A minute or two we have to talk about that mm-hmm. uh, but uh that melody um shows up in several points in the second half of the game um both i think in the uh during the prayer segments and in magic hand and in the flashbacks and i, I really like that just having having playing a song as a as like you know the the Link's Awakening thing, as sort of the thing you're compl- uh, assembling over the course of the game, I think is just very sweet and cute, and I'm I'm into it. Yeah, and I I like the way that they did kind of make it like you said a sort of light motif toward the end. Hmm. Yeah. I like the the images that you that Ness gets in his head with each uh, sanctuary. Yes. The little um, memories or or you know flashes back in time. They're very. They're very charming. Mm-hmm. All right, now I think we're, we'll, we should just jump into it now. Um, after you reach the, four, the eighth sanctuary, uh, Ness is transported to the realm of his mind called Magicant, and uh, basically just confronting his inner darkness and defeating it. In, uh, this is jumping ahead a little bit. Allows him to uh, completely clear his mind and find his inner strength. That's you know the culmination of his entire past and all of his memories and all of his adventures. And then each, and then he gets uh, some pretty huge stat boosts. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. And, uh, and if he, if he wasn't the strongest member of your party before, he sh- certainly is now. And, um, and I, I don't know, man, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, that is very special to me. It's, it's, it's in, in a way it's, it's finding his inner strength similar to Pooh's meditation, but much in a much more, uh, uh, I don't know, a much more vivid, a much more deliberate way. And Magicant is completely crazy, even though you're only in there for about 20 or 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of, like, the most memorable parts of the game for me, personally. Agreed. Oh, yeah. Also, um, Magicant was one of the, um, or probably was the only area where I really made use of the rolling HP, because for most of it, right. or pretty much all of it, you're alone with Ness, unless you recruit one of the flying men, who don't have long lifespans, at least in my game. <laughs> nope, they they get, they're good for maybe two or three random battles, and then the and then the flying men are flying dead. Yes, but I... especially with the um, bomb monsters, like I would constantly get mortal damage. But because you know Ness's HP is pretty high by then, I would just try my best to survive up until like I have a hundred left, and then mm. kill shortly after that. It was a nice use of the tactics, and something I'd like to see in another game. I don't know if they do it in Mother Three, but if they do, I'd like to try it. They do. Oh yes. There's one thing about that that I found a little weird. Um, I, I, in some port parts of the game, especially the the more challenging later dungeons, like the uh, the, uh, the volcano dungeon in Lost Underworld and in the Stonehenge dungeon where the 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 gold star men are, I thought it was really helpful a lot of the time to turn auto fight on. Because there's enemies in both of those dungeons that will deal a lot of damage, especially like the the nuke robots that blow up and can kill Paula or Jeff in one hit. But mm-hmm. but if you have auto fight on, then Ness and Pooh will cast uh, the um, life up gamma spells 
basically uh, automatically, so you don't have to navigate menus while your uh, while your oh, um, wow. allies' huh. uh, health scroll down. And even if it's in the middle of a turn, Ness or Pooh can heal uh, Jeff or Paula taking mortal damage. So, I so it saves time. Yeah, it's it was time saving and, and made my and made my characters less likely to die if I had I auto no fight idea. on, which is yeah, a me neither. Weird, which is a strategy. Yeah, I started. Uh, that's a strategy I basically discovered by accident. Prob- Starman.net probably has a thousand forum topics <laughs> on, the su- on the subject that I obviously never read. But uh, yeah, that, that whenever I fought an enemy I, that I knew could kill me in one hit, I would uh, and uh, and I did. I figured I could beat the battle without you know casting a freeze spell or a star storm or something. I would put on auto fight and it'd be more likely to survive, which. <laughs> Yeah, was not a strategy I was expecting to use going into this, uh, to playing the game for this episode. <laughs> so yeah, Magicant, you end up finally defeating the whatever inner darkness you have, which takes the form of the Mani Mani statue from earlier in the game, which which is a cool choice. Mm-hmm. I think Magicant kind of confirmed a lot of what I was thinking about Ness having a very rosy perspective on his adventures. <laughs> And I, I love the color shifts. Like, after you talk to certain people, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was really awesome. Yeah, yes, uh, several of the ones in, of the, in there, and I think they're changing colors to uh, reflect their dialogue or perhaps a certain mood, but it's it's a really mm-hmm. cool touch. It's like a um, it's like a nice inverse to Moonside, um, and um, but playing through playing through Magicant again for the first time in in many many years, um, I um, I can see where Yumi Niki got a lot of its ideas, for oh. for anybody who's played that uh, freeware abstract game. I have not. Speaking of it other does. games, actually, did anybody notice the flower kind of on the south side of the first area? In Magicant, and immediately think Flowey from Undertale. Oh, pfft. <laughs> yeah, yes. Actually, when, yeah. Whenever I see a sunflower that has sort of a, uh, <laughs> a that, that has a face, face. I, I now I think of Flowey from Undertale. Flowey is maybe the most memorable character from that game, especially especially <laughs> if once you beat it and see his true face. But uh-huh. <laughs> we'll have to wait a couple of years before, or a little while before we can have an Undertale episode of Retro Encounter. But man, that's that, that game is old now. That game is something. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh shoot! I guess you're right because it came out in twenty. <laughs> it came out in twenty fifteen. That's right. And I, I played it in fall of twenty fifteen. Yeah. Well, okay. Maybe I guess I guess we can officially add Undertale to the list then. But we'll see. We'll see if it if, if that ends up happening. Um, <laughs> And Under Undertale is definitely a game that was inspired by Earthbound. Yep. I mean, oh, without a doubt, beyond shadow of a doubt. But I mean, continuing with uh, the Earthbound story after after Magicant, you really hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, what? Flying man, Flying Man and his brothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wanted, to, I just wanted to give them some okay, recognition. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. We can we can move on. Pour, we can pour move one on. out. Pour one out for uh, however many however many lost flying men you had over the course of this game. I tried okay. so hard to spare them. I, <laughs> I did. After I killed after I killed three, I basically decided, you know what? I'm near the end of this. Ness is, <laughs> Ness is so strong. I don't. I I'm I I'm my own flying man. Oh, wind beneath my wings. Flying man was just uh, with you all along. There you go. Now we're getting into the end game. Uh, before your you know your souls are moved into robots, you have to you have to uh, go and find uh, get a piece of the meteor that was at the, the, from the very first scene of the game, and uh, and uh, f- and find your way to Gygus's realm, and he's attacking you from the past, which I still don't totally understand. Can anyone help me yeah. on that? 
<laughs> no, I can't help it all here. Okay. okay. It's like, we, it's like, it seemed like a very out of left field like, moment. Like we, we know that Gygus is a threat. We know that he is somewhere, but he's attacking us from the past, and we can't transport organic matter into the past. And all of this just hits you all at once, and then, and is a little bit of a Final Fantasy one twist. It's like, oh, the the real enemy is a thousand years in the past, but he's someone from the present. It's like what? Um, I blame Pokey. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I blame him for everything. Um, I, I guess, terrible. I guess if Gygus is, is the same creature from, from mother one, right. Well, um, and, and this game is basically, you know, like a retcon or a reimagining of that game. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't even begin to explain it, but you know, maybe they're, blah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know okay. what I'm trying to say. Uh, now let's get into a little bit of one one spoilers, which is a game that I do not like and don't totally remember, but, uh, <laughs> You're um you're a you're a boy named Ninten, and uh, Gygus was an alien that was found by your grandfather, and you sort That's of right. and you sort of uncover Gygus's story of him landing on Earth and uh and and horrible things happening to him. I, I think he was tortured by by the government or something. Yeah, he's more of like an ET yeah. cross with Cthulhu. He's more sympathetic in the first game than he yeah, is. Yeah, um. And, E.T. is a fair comparison. Like, what if the E.T. movie had just gone really horribly for E.T.? Is is what Gygus' arc in Mother 1 is like. And I think that um, in the final dungeon... Uh, final dungeon? In the final boss, uh, Pokey is... You're fighting Gygus and Pokey, and Pokey's alongside him. And uh, you really... You can't do anything to Gygus. Most of your attacks will reflect. And Pokey's just taunting you the whole time. But after... Pokey is uh, so scary. Yeah, after you deal enough damage to Pokey for him to retreat, Pokey tells you... That Gygus is so powerful that his own rage has, tor- rage has torn his mind apart, and he is nothing but hate and anger. And I'm and I'm and, then- one- and I'm wondering if that is from like the Mother One story. It's like he was uh, he was so mistreated in Mother One and didn't have any sympathetic uh, s- sympathetic you know ears other than um, other than Nintendo's grandfather and maybe Nintendo and his friends. That uh, this is what happens when. A, a powerful being is exploited by adults and turned into a monster. I'm like, maybe, but I... I, uh, m- I think mother- he was adopted by the Queen of Magicant as well, who was Ninten's grandmother. Oh, is that right? I don't remember oh, really? all of that, dude. I, I didn't yeah. make it past Mount Etoy. Like, yeah, I kind of want to play Beginnings, but I also kind of don't. It's... I, I, I mean, it's hard to go back to NES RPGs being people living in the 2010s. Because, yeah. Because, uh, uh, oh, what would I, how would I describe it? Um, like, like the quality of life adjustments aren't there. They, well, they, but it's, but I think that Mother One is is particularly bad mechanically, even for a Nintendo RPG. And I, well, like, I come from this from a, from significant bias. Like, I, I hated trying to play that thing. Some NES RPGs still hold up today, but I mean, the big problem with Mother One or Earth is that uh, in the back half of that game, um, Itoi got really, really bored. So around the Mount Itoi part where you gave up, uh, he said to the programmers, look, I don't care anymore. Just put like a really high encounter rate with lots of tough monsters and, and let them go through that. So the design kind of went out the window um, near the end of that game and made oh. it like an unbearable slog. It's it's it, pretty it's terrible. It's not so great leading up to that either. No. <laughs> but, like Robert alluded to at the beginning, Mirthbound might, or Mother 2 might be a retelling of Mother 1 or it might be a sequel. It's unclear if Gygus is the same alien from Mother 1 or not. But, uh, 
So, um, Mother 3 is definitely a, a sequel to, to Earthbound, but it's not 100% easy to see if Mother 1 and Mother 2 slash Earthbound are in the same universe or not. But in, in any way, let's, let, let's get back to the fi- that final boss battle against Gygus. This red and black twisted alien range, range monster. Rage monster. Also- um, like Pokey going from like the annoying um, kid next door to like in this this like biomechanical um, this machine that he's in the devil's machine. It looks like something from like Kamen Rider Zoe. You know, <laughs> like this this awful like fusion of, of of metal and flesh. It's really it's the, really the com- it, it the much common, like the nineties common Rider movies do go into yeah. a body horror territory that <laughs> makes them hard watches in the uh, nowadays. Much like uh, much like Pooh's meditation, it feels so at odds with everything that's come before and everything that you know about his character. Right, and and it's interesting because he tells you that you all, your party, looks pathetic, <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, <laughs> his, uh, he, he has a real fixation on being cooler than Ness. That is, yes. uh, that, that is a very amusing motivation to me. Like, at the very end, at the very end, like, when he departs, he even says, hey, which one of us is the cool guy? <laughs> and it's like, it's like, really? That, that's what, that's what you've been <laughs> focusing on this whole time? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's funny you should bring that up, Hillary. It's like, yeah, you guys are like the, these, these toy robots, and he's, uh, who, just this, this just mess. <laughs> this absolute yeah. mess. It's like, I'll, I'll take my toy robot look with the baseball cap. Thank you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Ness is obviously the cool guy because he's got that dope little cap. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think Pokey annoys me, or I almost want to say Pokey's one of my most hated villains in a game just because he's like that annoying kid from elementary school who would never leave you alone. Yeah. Just pretend he turned into a supervillain, but never yeah. lost his attitude. Taken to a horrifying extreme. Like, one of the things about his, you know, talking through the uh, Gygus phase was when he says that Gygus is now this, you know, directionless force of just hate and isn't really aware anymore. He basically implies that he's exploit, kind of exploiting it. And that's, yeah. just, that's just, whoa. Yeah. It's kind of zero redeeming qualities as a villain. And well, okay. The, the, um, Pokey's a much more extreme example of, uh, of that kind of character. But when you talk about the, you know, annoying kid next door slash elementary school bully, uh, Pokey's attitude reminds me of definitely the most memorable character in the Pokemon series. Uh, uh-huh. your, your, ri- your rival from Red Blue. True. Really? Yeah. Uh, just, Always... be- just because of he's, that. Of that. He's of a that... lot less redeemable. Yes. Yeah, no, no. Pokey, he's more Pokey is, Pokey is more awful than uh, than than Blue, but. Just the attitude of the annoying kid next door. It's like, hey Ness, which of us is the cool guy? Hey, Red, smell you later. It's like there's, I think, I think there's a similar yeah. personality there. He's but, also uh, always like one step ahead of you too. Yeah. Each time yeah. you meet. Yes. And, and, and Pokey, okay. Pokey is a much more disgusting, uh, extreme example of this kind of character. But I, I just think that that there's similarities in tone, at least with the early version of Pokey. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Serious question. Is he worse than Cartman? <laughs> oh, I don't know. And I also, think, and also I think the, the, would want to feed you your parents, definitely. Yeah, I, I think. I, I, and uh, and let's see. Pokey doesn't. He's, he's pre- like a family-friendly Cartman. Pokey doesn't. Pokey doesn't really pretend to be a robot to embarrass you. He's more like he turns into the robot, and you turn into the robot. There's there's some robot <laughs> stuff going on. I, I wonder if the whole Awesome O episode of South Park really is just an Earthbound allegory. <laughs> They do look kind of similar. 
A little bit. Those are, those are some boxy robots. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but also, uh, I'm I'm Robert. I know you've heard this story. Uh, the about um, Itoi um, seeing that film as a child. Yeah, the and, uh, policeman in the dismembered beauty. Yeah. Um, do, do you want to tell that one? I have a feeling that um, we both know the story, but you probably have more details surrounding it than I might. So, uh, do, do you want to go into that now? Um, yeah. Well, from what I understand, like his, he made this film worse in his memory than right. it actually is. Because he, he watched it by like, accident. He, he like he walks it. He yeah. watched it by accident as a child, right? Uh, that's that's right. Like he was trying to find his parents in a movie theater, and he ended up walking into the wrong showing. Um, and he saw, he he remembered it as a pornographic film with a bare breast. Apparently, this film actually doesn't contain that. Oh, okay. but it's this um, erotic, grotesque thriller uh, called "The Policeman and the Dismembered Beauty," uh, which is uh, exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, a woman is dismembered, and a uh, Japanese policeman is trying to solve the case. Um, I guess there is a scene where um, a uh, the police the aforementioned policeman is uh, squeezing a woman's breast, and um, she's saying it hurts and it feels good, and that is what uh, Gygus is saying to you as you're trying to defeat him. Right? Yeah. It, it's um, okay. Boy, oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> Childhood <laughs> trauma complexes. Right. The story I had heard was he watched a movie with a uh, with a rape scene in it. And the, and that that it was actually a consensual scene, but it okay. was a like a mix of pleasure and pain going on. Okay, I I understand. So I I, I heard a I, you he, know, he, I, he, I, he I remembered it, it as 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 a rape. He recounted it as a okay. rape. So I I heard a an abridged story of a version of the story that maybe didn't have every detail in it properly, but uh, so him remembering that scene is like is represented in that final fight with Gygus. It's, it's just a lot of twisted red images and dialogue of I'm happy, it feels good with it hurts, it hurts. And and uh, it's it's really confusing and scary and dark and weird if you don't know that story. And even if you do know that story, I think it still counts as scary, dark, and weird. But, uh, I just love the fact that he's put his childhood trauma as like the most scary character and the most scary thing he can say is like this frightening memory from his right. personal childhood which is it's fantastic it's it's awesome and i i didn't um the last time i played this game in the early 2000s i had not heard that story yet and right. no, but but knowing that and playing it now put it, it made it make a little more sense but did not diminish it it's it's there's some real impact with with that dialogue and those images in the final boss fight I mean, I guess it, it's a very surrealist take on horror so having like all these different uh, elements from, um, you know, different aspects of one's life or like combined with dreams. I think it's, it's a very effective way of getting across this sort of unknowable entity that is is waging a psychic attack on you and can only be defeated through, you know, the faith of your friends. Yeah, and they do that pretty literally too in the last fight because as you're going through, you know, it says you can't understand the form of Gygus's attack. <laughs> yeah. But and, 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 you anyway. and, and you you can you can figure out what the form is like. Oh, he's these are the, it's hitting me randomly, and the Franklin badge yeah. reflects it. So it's like, okay, this is a lightning one. This is a nice one, etc. But it, but the formlessness of it is you know adds to the Atmosphere, how scary yeah. it is. I think, and mm. even though there, there's a lot of negative hate, anger, emotions in that in that Gygus fight, you have to basically defeat it with the power of positivity. Oh. It's a, it's a, it's a very Final Fantasy IV moment where you know yeah. everyone you've met along the way uh, comes together to you know to will you to victory, which I, I, I you see that a lot of the time in in 
in RPGs. It happens in Persona 3 and Persona 4, but, but mm-hmm. I, I, I still call them Final Fantasy 4 moments. But uh, <laughs> And uh, you have to pray eight times in a row as Paula and every uh, several people you've met along the way, including Frank from Moinette, which is maybe the least sense-making of all of, all of the people oh, that, go, no, that visit. If, if, if you talk to him after you beat him, he's like, hey, let's be friends now. Yeah, no, I, I did. I, I tried to look for him in the bur- in the burger shop, and there he was, and he wants to be your friend now. And it was it was a heart. He wants moment. to be a wrestler. Yeah, his dream is to is to clean up his act and be a pro wrestler. And I have never been happier for an NPC in my life. Yes. But uh, yeah, you see, I think it's I think it's six scenes of um, characters you've met throughout the game, including uh, the women from Dalam, but not the, not the uh, not, not your master and not, or not any of the telephone guys, only the women, um, all the people from Paula's Element uh, uh, daycare where she works, and the Runaway Five who are great, obviously, and uh, it's. And oh, and and uh, and and Tony and the guys from the boarding school. And I'm I'm wondering if Tony has more than friendship feelings for Jeff. <laughs> Tony is confirmed uh, confirmed gay by you. Okay, all right. Oh, really? Yeah. I I definitely got that vibe with the dialogue in the second half of the game. Tony Indeed. is very interested in Jeff. That's really funny because I felt um when you talked to Tony in the second half of the game, I felt like he was a little jealous towards Ness. I kind of got that yeah. vibe. Yeah, yeah maybe. Like, yeah, no, I guess hey, so cool. Jeff is my best friend. I've known him for ages. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Ness has Paula. So um, how about how about that penultimate prayer, though, um, I, after you yeah. see the six scenes? <laughs> yeah, like, you I see these got goosebumps. You see these six scenes of just that are just so, so feel-good and so positive, and then your seventh prayer is swallowed by the darkness, I think. Oh, my the, God. Yes. Was the choice of words? Yeah, yeah. that's it's it. Like, that's just a moment of oh man is is the game just is, is this just an unwinnable game that takes you to the very end and then you lose and that's it <laughs> well if if you have the uh, bootleg copy yes but <laughs> <laughs> was that another case of Itoi just going f this i don't want to make the game anymore let's have them all die at the end <laughs> uh no no if if you there's copy protection in this game where like if you're hmm. playing it on uh illegal hardware or if you have it on a flash cart you know, um, an, an illegal cartridge. Uh, when you get to that battle, you'll get about halfway through it, and the game will hard lock, and then it will erase all of your saves. Okay. The well, end. I, I will. <laughs> I will say I, I am not playing this game legally, but that did not happen to me, so I, I must. Yeah, be... they, they 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 patched it out eventually. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little glad now because that would have I would have been furious if I had if I had hit that. <laughs> the um, cheaper it on that one though is that'll give you a warning saying something about hey piracy is bad. That's like the only <laughs> notification you have that you're gonna have a bad time at the end of this game. Yeah, I never got anything <laughs> like that. It's, and it's not like in fun. In uh, I know that um, some pirated copies of uh, Dragon Quest V, you couldn't leave the boat at the very start of the game if you were playing. Yes. If you were playing an illegal copy, I the, actually I I experienced that firsthand, and that inspired me to buy that game. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, but I, I mean, I, 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 I at I least that's a. a at least that's at the I'm, very beginning of the game, and not yeah. in the final battle. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not a I'm not a pirate anymore. I buy all of my games. Just I do too, but I, I I but I wanted to be on this episode, and I don't own a new 3DS or a Wii U or a functioning Super Nintendo or a SNES Classic because that is not out yet. So I I did <laughs> I did uh, I decided to jump through a hoop um, to play this game when maybe I shouldn't have. But I are we are, are we going to have to like beep this whole segment out? <laughs> maybe I don't know. I I'm, I might just I might leave it in and just tell and just tell people hey don't pirate games kids don't be like uncle mike <laughs> <laughs> um 
But anyway, back to the final battle. Uh, it, it does end happily. You do win with the power of prayer and positivity, probably. <laughs> you, the, you, the player, also win. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah, you're the final prayer, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I was um in public when I got to that moment. Like, I was playing my 3DS <laughs> in public, and I actually had to fight back tears. Cause oh. I, I know it sounds stupid, but like that really hit me hard to be like, "Hey, you believe in these kids too, right?" And I'm like, "I do." Yes, I've been with them this entire time. Okay, this That's is wonderful. this is going to be a reference that only that only like people only old people understand. But have you guys seen the Mary Martin version of Peter Pan? I yes. have. And at the very end, when Tinkerbell's dying, Mary Martin breaks the fourth wall and tells the children in the audience to clap for Tinkerbell. And when oh, I watched yes. that, when, when I watched that when I was seven, you bet your ass I was clapping. <laughs> I was I was clapping Me along too. with Mary Martin to revive Tinkerbell. Oh. And that and that um in this moment of you the player being the last prayer. Reminded me of that. It's like, oh, they're they're going right through the fourth wall and having and having you, the viewer, the player, will them to victory. And that reminded me of you know the old live action Peter Pan. Just a quick aside. I think that um, the American box art to Wonder Boy in Monsterland looks like a terrifying version of Mary Martin's Peter Pan. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to look that up later. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I will also have to look that up later because I, I very much enjoyed the Mary Martin Peter Pan as a child. <laughs> um, so, but, so yeah, it's a really memorable final encounter for how twisted and dark it is, and how uh, and how uh, how fun the ending of it is. And um, like we mentioned before, you do a sort of Dragon Quest like tour of the world at your own at your own volition to see what the world state is like post victory. And uh, there's some very nice encounters like. Like the um, like like meeting Frank in the uh, burger shop is. Did any of you meet the Runaway Five there? Because I couldn't find them. No, I didn't. Which made me sad because they were my favorites. I checked Tucson, Forside, and Summers, and I did not know where they were. Yeah, it looked like they were in Summers during the prayer scene. Right. So I, I, che- yeah. I checked. I checked. I checked there first, and then I checked the other the theater towns, and I could. I, I don't know if you can talk to them in the final in the final act, but I, I beat this game like. Uh, less than 12 hours ago, or oh no, okay, more like six, like 18 hours ago. So I uh, it, I didn't have a ton of time to research where they were. Yeah, I'm not sure if they appear again. I don't think I ever found them again. Um, I will say though that this ending blew my mind as a kid, and it still <laughs> remains one of my favorite ending sequences that I wish more games would uh, borrow from. It's real good. I guess I guess like some of the later Persona games kind of did a similar thing, but you yeah, know, well, just well, they, um, they give you an epilogue to um, close yeah. loose ends or or talk to people about the uh, about the um, about the events of what happened. It, yeah, it's, it, it's it's a very nice bow on the experience. Wiping out the entire world of monsters, and then you know traveling through this entire JRPG world where everybody has new dialogue explaining what they're up to. Um, it was so memorable to me, and I remember just like I I would just beat the final boss of this game over and over and over just so I could you know back before there were such things as save states um, just mm-hmm. so I could run around and talk to everybody. It was just it it, yep. it really felt like wow this is like a like a slice of life adventure game now, and, and it just it left such a lasting impression on me. I would have liked yeah. to have spend more time exploring around the end game. I really all I did was uh, I wanted to talk to Frank and I wanted to talk to the Runaway Five, and I only got half of my wish. Um, hmm. But uh, Keegan, I, I know you mentioned you know uh, coming to tears a little bit during the ending, but uh, what 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 thoughts and feelings ran through your head towards that epilogue segment? 
be, being, um, uh, be, being new to this game. Towards the, it felt, I felt so rewarded by it. There was like a contentness in my heart, but I kept wanting more, you know? I didn't want Pooh and Jeff to go away. I wanted to keep hanging out with them, you know? Uh-huh. Pooh has it, some ladies that need his attention. True. But the more I think about this line, it kind of reminds me of when you're growing up, you know, your kid friends kind of go off into different directions. Oh. And it's sad to see them go, but you just have all these great memories with them. I cracked up when, when he went, okay, sigh farewell, and he spun away, and then presents... <laughs> and yeah, and man, dude, thinking back to Tony's feelings about Jeff, one of the pre- one of the presents that drops down is a letter from Tony, and it's a it's 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 a very heartfelt letter letter to Jeff that at the end he says, Jeff, don't show this letter to anyone. <laughs> like, oh, oh boy, and uh, I mean, uh, like you know, just mental image of Ness and Paula exchanging a glance and backing away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of Jeff's, you know, family and close people. I I think one of the times I was like most upset over the course of the entire game, going back for a minute, is during that whole robot transfer, just because I had this moment of realization that Jeff's father was doing this, right? And, and that yeah. just, like, oh my god, he he's like a bit of a neglectful, like almost abuser. <laughs> I definitely, feel like definitely, the story. definitely distant and neglectful, and they do express both Jeff and Doctor and Donuts. Uh, Express a desire to become closer to to, uh, to each other, yeah. at, like right at the end of the game, which at is this which point, is nice. Yeah. But it, but, I but not think... in, not until he you know throws his son into a into a UFO and turns him into a robot that he might not be able to return from. Yeah, right. I, I don't necessarily <laughs> think that Andonitz can help it. He seems to have like a mental impairment that has made him like this brilliant scientist but just doesn't really understand what a family means i can see that i i just remember being like frustrated through this half of the game like watching him work with the applicant i'm like you know how how good your son is at this yeah too, right <laughs> the, only, the only one of them with an attentive father is paula because because ness's dad isn't exactly you know the, the best in the cash the best well okay yeah <laughs> he's literally your atm and not just figuratively you can tell that ness's dad cares but he's very like the japanese salary man who's just mm-hmm. he's he's at the office uh i mean he you know he he's there until after you go to bed and then he's there before you're awake <laughs> you know um yeah, yeah i mean but also i mean i, I think he's not I, a deadbeat. I still you're right he is not a deadbeat and he does you are on the phone with him a lot but i still think that might uh contribute to the tone that Itoi sets of, you know, adults being unavailable or distant or oppressive. Mm. And it's like, your, your father's never there to help, even though he is helping. It's, it's a very, I think it's a very Japanese thing with the father portrayal. In I mean, shoot, I mean, we talked about Persona a couple times. In, in ev- literally every Persona game, your father is a distant character who is either dead or disgraced or absent. <laughs> Mm, indeed, the, the protagonist's father. But I think I think in Persona's case, it has a little bit more in common with um, like erotic visual novels set in high schools. You know, uh, it's okay. It's <laughs> trying to it's trying to recontextualize the high school experience as something that's like fun and flirty, and you don't have um, a familial authority figure hanging over your head, whereas. Um, I think Earthbound is more like maybe not such a, a critique, but like I don't know a, a nod towards. I guess this is how the nuclear family is now. The dad is just constantly at the office because he has to be; otherwise, he'll be considered not a team player and he'll be fired. 
But that's just my take on it. No, I, I think your take on Earthbound is absolutely is absolutely right in this regard. For Persona, I think it's more just to establish you as more of an independent youth, and and having having a yeah. having your parents your parents literally there. And and uh, but I mean, like in Persona games, your parents are never yeah. there, but it's, there's always a reason. They're always they're always working or something. I think it's more to make you an independent character. Yeah, no, that's uh, what I mean. Like the 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 key visual arts games, like Planet and Canon and etc. All of those games, like they, they you're a high school student, but you live alone right. uh, mm-hmm. for reasons, and that you know you can get up to your own adventures. So I see Persona as like kind of borrowing from that a little bit, or vice versa. Right. Okay. So we have talked about Earthbound a lot over these past couple of weeks. So do we have do we have any final things to address or final thoughts before we say our goodbyes and uh, talk about what's coming up on, on Retro Encounter? Yes, really fast. Earthbound oh. cooking show. What? Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Um, Hillary, please tell us about Earthbound's wonderful wide world of food and seasonings. Ah, uh, yes. So I'm bringing this up um, because there are seasonings and condiments that go with your food, and they go on them automatically, which is a kind of fun and sometimes unexpected touch. So things end up happening like being in the middle of the Stonehenge alien-based dungeon, forgetting that you have hot sauce in your inventory, and having Ness think it's a hilarious idea to hand some spicy jerky over to Jeff with a bunch of hot sauce on it. And then Jeff getting very little HP from it. So so which character likes hot sauce? Because am I I correct in assuming that the characters have different tastes and will respond to different condiments uh, accordingly? I think they do. There's not a huge amount of variation, but from my little bit of experimenting, they do. I mean, like like you said, a poo. I mean, there are a lot of foods that just don't kill him very much. Yeah, I remember that's there was. A, that's like um, it was a dungeon <laughs> shortly after getting him. It was the the pink clouds sanctuary. I kept trying to heal his PP with. Um, with with, with with certain items, and because of the seasonings in my inventory, I, I think it was because of the seasonings in my inventory, he didn't like anything, and he would just gain he would gain zero or one PP from items that right. should have should have given him several. Yes. Some some joker poured a bunch of hot sauce over some beef jerky, and that gave like a super HP boost for me. But uh, I just but, why but, would um, you do but, that? But, but who did you, do who that. Did you, who did you feed it to though? Uh, I think Paula had it. So Paula likes Ooh. hot. So Paula likes Ooh, hot sauce. Like spicy food. And Jeff what are you doesn't. doing dipping beef jerky in condiments? That's not wrong. That's not on. <laughs> well, I, I think I'm going to try doing that in probably an hour after we're done recording. Right? Using a beef jerky like it's a tortilla chip. <laughs> hey, I I can buy beef jerky and I got a bo- bottle of sriracha right here. Well, let, let, let's okay. let's experiment. <laughs> I'm mm. I'm in walk. I'm in short distance irony. In the bathroom. Very irony. <laughs> Truthfully, though, I've not tried sriracha on beef jerky, and now I am kind of curious. So, is the uh, is the Earthbound cooking show over? I think it's going to okay. be a continuing process. I actually kept a save file, kept some save files, so I could yeah. check it out a little bit yeah, more. Try adding that hot sauce <laughs> and that jar of deli sauce to the to the rice gruel. See if you can improve it. Yes, exactly. I want to know what that deli sauce exactly is. That's too vague a term for me. It's usually, yes. it's usually some kind of house mustard or like, okay. fa- or fancy yeah. mayonnaise, yeah. right? Yeah, I was wondering: is it mustard? Is it mayo? Is it both? Is it 
oil and vinegar. I don't like adding mustard to things, but you have to have that weird spicy mustard when you go to the deli and get the uh, and get like a, uh, a pastrami and corned beef. It needs the mustard. I don't understand why. I don't like mustard, but it needs the mustard. It's just That's just how it goes, man. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So, I think we're done with the Earthbound Cooking <laughs> Show for real now. Now it's time to thank you listeners for pay- for listening to us through this Earthbound adventure. We have several interesting re- Retro Encounter episodes upcoming. We are going to be playing Grim Fandango in August, the classic LucasArts adventure game, which I have not played, so I'm interested in, uh, in experiencing that for the first time. But before then, we also have special episodes about GameCube RPGs and a special Pokemon episode in the next couple of weeks. So, um, if you want to contact us, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. We read everything that's directed to us. And if you want to uh, uh, read, reach us more directly, you can go and comment on the rpgfan.com boards or on the rpgfan.com Facebook page or the or on Twitter at rpgfancom. So, enough of the RPG fan stuff. Uh, starting with you, Keegan, where can we find you on the website and on social media? You guys can find me on the boards as Fozzie Bear, and if you're in the Twitter sphere, you can find me there as Kaylee Brand. Feel free to drop by and say hi. All right, and uh, Hillary, your turn. Yes, so I am EP Fire on the boards, and I still don't have an active Twitter. <laughs> RPG fan podcast staff have a fine tradition of not being on Twitter. <laughs> Which is my way of saying that Rob should probably get a Twitter. I mean, Rob, Rob Steinman, that is. But we, we have a different Rob right here right now. Uh, Rob Fenner, how can we find you on the website and on social media? Uh, I'm Artemisia on the boards. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast Shut is up. over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Towns Carmarty on the boards, and I'm on Twitter at MissAnthroBob, and I'm always up for talking about the Mother series. So uh, that's that. Um, if, if you haven't played Earthbound, you really should. It holds up incredibly well. There's so many ways to get it now. Um, play it. It's wonderful. I was... Um, I expected to like this game, playing it again for the first time in 15 years, because it's, you know, it's most of the time the, the really good games in sort of the canon of classic games are good for their own reasons, but I, I truly was surprised at how many new things I noticed and how, and, uh, and how it felt different playing it as an adult than when I first played it as a child and then as a teenager. It's, Super uh, it's a very special, very thoughtful game, and it's, uh, I think it's a must-play for RPG fans. I, I say that with 100% sincerity. So, if you want to talk to me about Earthbound or Japanese superheroes or anything at all, uh, you can do so on my uh, Twitter at the Real Monsoon or on RPG Fan, where I am Monsoon. So, I think that's about it, fellas and lady. Thank you. <laughs> good night and good luck. See ya. Bye. Ladies. <laughs>